Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the first week of our new series on spiritual gifts titled Empowered, which will cover the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. And if you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thank you for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. You know, back when I was in high school, my mom gave my brother and I something for Christmas that we both treasure to this day. Uh, it's something that we both keep in our offices. Its value isn't in its financial value or its beauty. It's in more the um, significance of the meaning. It's a little poem that she had run across, and she found someone to personalize it and then put it in a nice background and, and, um, and then give it to us in, in a frame. And, and it's something that talks about the meaning and value of a good name. Uh, let me go ahead and share with you what it is here. It's probably hard for you to read, but I'll, I'll let me go ahead and read it. It says, Dearest Michael Ribka, you got it from your father. It was his precious gift to give. So it's yours to use and cherish as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced. But a black mark on your name, son, can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son. What a, what a beautiful poem. What a beautiful message. And what a great challenge. And in that, you know, I reflect on that and I know that I'm blessed because I have a dad whom she could give that to, a dad that has is, that is, uh, lived out his faith faithfully. Uh, he's lived as an example, as a model. And I think about not only myself, I was reflecting on it this past week and how I'm one of six. And, and one of the things that my dad did, he, he was really involved in doing Bible studies and, and evangelism. And, and all six of us are leading Bible studies. You know, everyone else, you know, so I'm the only one that's a pastor, but all, you know, leading different Bible studies involved, we're living out this example that my dad had given us. There's a weight of responsibility, I sense, of living up to this name and, and ultimately, hopefully, then give it to my son with the heritage for him to live to. I, I know that even beyond that, I have a greater responsibility because my whole name actually bears that. My name is Michael Stephen Ribka. Michael is from Michael Battaglia, who was the, my, the dad of my mom, Stephen, Stephen Ribka, my dad's dad. And both of them were men of integrity and values that, that I realized, okay, I have this name that I want to live up to. Now, I know some might be thinking, that's a blessing that you have. You know, what a great blessing to have, you know, men that uh, are examples to live up to, a name that is a heritage to live up to. But, but I didn't have that. You know, I didn't have that example, or my name isn't one that has that spotless reputation. I, I can't relate. Well, on the one hand, I'll acknowledge, I, I do realize that I am very blessed, and I don't take that for granted. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But there's also a sense that for each one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of what that last name is, there's a sense that we, all of us, as followers of Christ, have been given a name, have been given an identity, a name to live up to. That's really Paul's point as we look in Ephesians 4, verse 1, when he says, I therefore as a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is he saying? 
Live in a manner worthy of the calling, worthy of the name, worthy of the identity that you have. This is your identity. In a sense, God has given us each one some of a plaque that he wants us to put in a sense in the wall of our mind to remember, no, you have this name. Live up to it. Why? Because we say, well, it's this calling to what you've been called. Well, what is that calling? Well, that's referring back to everything that he taught in Ephesians 1 through 3. Let's go back to the very beginning of that section, Ephesians 1, 3. Look what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. That's amazing. And what are these blessings? Well, he lists them all in, in verses, chapters 1 through 3. But it's all an outgrowth of relationship, of the relationship that we have with God. And he explains that in the next verse. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us for relationship, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And what is that relationship? He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We are predestined. We are adopted. We are children of God. That is now our identity. We have been brought into his family. We've been given his name. And so then we go into chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the name. Live up to the name. That's the challenge. So when we read any passage, we always have to remember to see it in the context of what has come beforehand. And so everything that we see now in chapter 4 is built on chapters 1 through 3. That's all been focused on the, the blessings that we have in Christ that it's a new identity. We are adopted as children of God. We have a, a, this identity, a new name, and all the blessings that come with that. We're not only adopted because we're now a family, we get everything that comes with being part of that family. And Paul's point now in chapter four is because you understand that, because of all the blessings that you have in this relationship with Christ, now live a life that's worthy of those blessings. Live a life that's worthy of that name. Live up to the name, that new identity. In fact, as we go to chapter 4, what we're going to see is that the, this is the pivot of the whole book. The first three chapters have all been talking about, you know, identity in Christ. This is who we are, that we're adopted and we're, you know, we're forgiven and we're you know, grace. And, and he prays that we would understand that. And that's everything that he's been talking about in chapters 1 through 3. And now in chapter 4, he turns and he pivots the whole book and he said, now that you understand that, walk in a way that's worthy. And everything that comes after this verse is all going to be expounding on that idea. It's all going to be saying, now that you understand who you are, this is what it looks like to walk in a way worthy. And we're going to see in coming months, he literally goes through about every area of life. He goes through family and work and, 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 and our morality and, and ethics. And he goes through you know, every area and he says, this is what it looks like to apply these truths to this area of life. And even here in chapter, beginning of chapter 4, he starts by saying, what's it look like to apply these towards our relationships, especially within the church? What does it mean to have these authentic relationships? Now, as we get into this, I want to point out that, that as he's calling us to do this, he's calling us to do something in response to the weight of God's blessing. It's, it's, he's calling us to live in a manner worthy of the calling. And, and what does that mean? Well, the word that is translated there in the Bible, worthy, is actually a, a word that most literally would be translated having the weight of another thing or weighing as much as something else. 
And it was a word that actually came from the marketplace. If you were to go to a marketplace at that time, you had people that were buying and selling. And, and if you were selling something, you would have a stall and, and your product, and then you would have these scales. You know, we're, we're aware of these type of things. And so you would, somebody would come and want to buy something, and you would, the seller would put, you know, whatever they're selling here, they would put, um, they would put uh, weights that were, you know, kind of pre-marked weights on the other side to determine the weight of something because the weight of something would determine its worth, it would determine its value. And so now Paul uses that marketplace imagery and says now what we need to do is consider the scales. We need to consider all that God has put on his side of the ledger, all that God has put on our new identity, all the blessings that we have. He spent three chapters explaining all those things. And now he says, now that you understand that, live in a way that's worthy, that has, has similar weight to the blessings that God has given us. Give get back to God, in a sense, a life that reflects the value that he's, of what he's given to you. Now, here's where I need to stop and make really clear on something, because it could lead to a misunderstanding. Now, sometimes we think of religion in terms of what we do, and, and even when I talk to people about, you know, about religious faith, they think, oh, I've been good. I, and they often turn, think in terms of scales. Well, I try to put what, good on one side, and, and God's going to bless me because of what I do. Well, see, we're not about religion. It's about relationship. Religion is about what we do to earn God's favor. It's about rule-keeping rules. And what you've got to realize, this is not about religion. When you think about religion, religion is all about me putting my side on the scales first. I put things on my side of the scale and I try to have weight there that earns God's reward. What we've got to see here is that Paul is teaching is this isn't about what we do first. It's, it's God putting everything on the scales first. God initiated. We've been through Ephesians 1 through 3 and he's been talking nonstop for three chapters about all the things that God has done for us freely by grace, not by works. None of us can boast. God has dumped all this on this side of the scale. And now at the very end, he finally says, okay, in response to what God has done, in response, now look at all that God has put here and now try to live a life, walk a, a life that's worthy, that's in response, that, that, that reflects the weight of what God has blessed us with. What he's freely done. Now, here's what we need to realize. Religion is striving to earn God's blessings, but we're not called to strive to earn God's blessings, but we're called to strive to live this way in response to what God has done, in response to his blessings. We're not trying to earn heaven. We're not trying to earn his reward. We're not trying to live a, a life so he would give us more stuff, that, that, you know, that we can somehow keep the place in the family. No, not that at all. This should be a spontaneous response of our gratitude to the Father. He adopted us. We didn't do anything. And because he's adopted us and he's given us that identity and, 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 and all this, now he said, okay, because he's done all this, now in response to that, live in a way that, that reflects the weight of the blessings that he's given you. Now, here's where I think we need to be honest with each other for a moment. Because when I read that, there's a challenge to it, but it's also kind of discouraging. Because I think about it and I say, okay, what's the chance that I'm going to live a life that in any way is reflective of the weight of God's blessings? That I can give God a life back that really matches, that's worthy, that's equal to the weight of the blessings that he's given me. I don't know about you, but I look at that and I said, I'm nowhere close to that. And, and I don't think I'm ever going to get anywhere close to that. So I look at this and I say, okay, how do I understand this then? Well, there's a few things that we need to see. 
First of all, what he's saying is that that should be our goal. It's not only our goal, it's our motivation. See, again, when I think of the, the plaque that my mom gave me, it's not like saying, okay, live up your dad's name so that therefore you deserve to be a part of this family. No, I was part of the family. But my goal is to say, boy, I have a great example and out of motiv out of, I'm motivated by the love that has been shown to me. And so that's the same thing here. We're called to strive to live up to this identity that we've been freely given in response and gratitude. But even as we do so, we should also realize that we all are going to fall short, that none of us are there. We all are going to fall short in different ways. You know, I'm struggling in different ways than you are, but we all, what we share is we all fall short. And this is going to be one of Paul's main points in what he's teaching us here. We're, he even describes us as babies in this process. But we're babies that are all adopted into the same church family, and as part of this family, we're called to help each other in the process of maturing. So on the one hand, we don't accept the immaturity. We don't just sit there, well, I'm a baby, I'm not. No, we're called to strive to grow. We're called to say, no, this is the name, this is identity. I'm called to become more like what God wants me to be, to learn to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, to grow towards it. But on the other hand, even as we grow towards it, we realize that we're all children in the process. We're going to struggle, and we need to be patient with each other and gracious with each other in the process. Now, first of all, let's see what he says here about us being spiritually mature. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but even when, you know, it can be kind of offensive, it's like, you're calling me immature, you're calling me a baby, what are, you know, that, I don't like that. And, and we might even look at these verses, and where is that? Well, I think he's implying it, what he's saying, but it's really clear when you look at verses 13 through 15. And so we're going to go a little bit further down. You see, again, um, this first part is, okay, here's all the blessings that we have in Christ, and then now minister to each other. And everything that we're going to see in this section of, the, of Ephesians is all about how the church should minister to each other. We have spiritual gifts, and we should encourage each other, and we're empowered by these things. And, and look at what he teaches in verses 12 through 13 about why the church does ministry. He says, it's all about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's all, we, we're doing this, why? So we can equip each other, so that we can all serve and when we all serve, it's so that the body of Christ may be built up. And until we become mature, it's so that we can grow, what does he say, to the full me the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. So he's saying everything that happens in the church is this pro to help us in this process of maturing. Now, here's an implication of that. If we all need to be helped in this process of maturing, it implies that we're all immature and need to be matured. It implies that we're all somewhat immature, that we're all babies, we're all, well, and if, if you miss it, then just go to the next verse because Paul makes it even more clear. So he continues on, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And the word there, children, is actually a word that is literally small children, young children. It's often translated as infants or toddlers or babies. And, and we're going to see another verse in a few moments where it's translated just like that, as newborn babes. And so it's saying here that we're all children. We're all spiritual children. Now, let me even point something out here which is really significant. Notice Paul is speaking, and what does he say? That we may no longer be children. Do you notice who he, he's including as a child, as a young child? Himself. And so Paul, the apostle, the, you know, this guy that's one of the spiritual leaders of the church in all of history, said, that includes me. 
I realize I'm still learning. I don't have all this. He sees his own spiritual maturity. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, if, you, if you're, you know, I'm sitting there, if I want to argue about the fact that this doesn't really apply to me, if Paul is considering himself as spiritually mature, I can't say that I'm, that's not me. In fact, if Paul's looking at this and if saying, well, if he's a toddler, I feel like I'm probably more like the newborn. Um, no, we're all here. And actually, this is something that's taught throughout the Bible and other places. So, for example, in 1 Peter, Peter refers back to Jesus' words in John 3 about our need to be born again so that when we experience God's grace, what happens? We're born again. So since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So we're born, but when you're born, you're always born as a baby. You don't come out as a mature adult. So that's true for us spiritually. And he makes it clear again a few verses later. Like newborn infants, same word that's used in Ephesians, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So that we are, in a sense, these newborn babies. We're all spiritually mature. But in the process of that immaturity, in the process of growing, God has given us the church as a family where we help, we help each other, where we, we grow together in maturity in this context of a family community. So again, let's go back to Ephesians 1.4.1. What does he do? He calls us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. How do we do this? Well, we can't all the way. We're all going to fall short. Well, how do we grow in it? How do we try? Well, again, here's the answer. Look at verse 2. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in, bond, uh, 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 in the bond of peace. So we're called to do it together. Now, some of you might be, I don't really think I have anything to offer. I don't think I really can help. I'm just the newborn baby that everybody has to feed and take care of. And Well, then he comes back in verse 7. He says, No, we all have something to offer. That's the idea of the empowered. We have spiritual gifts, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's not that grace is given to some. Each one of us has been given grace where we can minister to each other, where we can encourage each other. And in that, he's given different roles of different people. And he says, he gave the apostles and prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers and different people have different roles in the church. And what is the purpose of all this ministry? What does it say? to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So we're all doing this so that we can build each other up. And, and it's all, you know, when you look at this, how do we become equipped? How do we become built up? How do we become mature? It's in the context of community. And when we do this together, when we're growing together, look what it says. It says that we, he says he wants us to grow to the point that we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, of the fullness of Christ. Now, here's what you need to see. We live in a culture where there's such an emphasis on personal, personal relationship with Christ, personal devotions. Here's my personal. And so, I don't need to be at church. You know, I, can, I don't need to come in community. And, and, and we've even played this out some in recent days. I talked to somebody that was uh, new after the first service, and they said, yeah, you know, we've gone to this church. They still haven't opened up after, you know, COVID. And, and they're, you know, they're missing being part of community. And the fact is, is that, no, to be a, to really grow, we need to not only hear a service, we need to be connected in relationship. Look what Paul says about this. He says, only as we help each other, when we're involved in each other in this way, will we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As we're all involved, this, and this whole passage is filled with this picture of growth, but it's not just individual. So it's growing being part of this community. But part of this community goes back to everything that he said in the very beginning, which is what? How do we have these gifts? How do we have this growth? It's all by God's grace. What unites us is that we're all people that are fallen, that deserve God's wrath, and we admit that, and, we've, and we're surrendered to Christ, and we're freely given God's grace, not based on anything that we've done, but based on our acknowledgement of need, based on what God has done for us. And so when we understand that, what it means is that, okay, we're in that process, we're all now spiritually mature, we're all growing, but we have to help each other with the humility of understanding that we're all falling short, we're all in this process. You know, none of us deserve to be here, we've all been adopted. So we're called to help each other grow, but in a way that's defined by God's grace. Look at it, verse 2 again. Look at what he calls us. He calls us to strive to walk in a manner worthy. How are we called to do that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. See, when he says, what's it look like to apply this? What we're going to see is that he's going to say, okay, here's what we need. We need three attitudes, three attitudes that, of this grace of living in God's family, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then we're going to say, and those attitudes should then translate into an action, bearing with one another in love. So let's look at each one of those attitudes, first of all. First of all, it's humility. And what he teaches is that if we understand God's grace, it will produce humility. Now, remember, everything that he's saying here is built on chapters one through three. Now, what are chapters one through three? This is your identity in Christ. This is, you are a child of the king. You have God's name. You have all these spiritual blessings in Christ. Live up to that identity. It's all about this high position that we have in Christ. Do you find it strange that right after he talks about this high position in Christ, the first application is be humble? You've got to say, how does that work? How are we children of the king, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, and at the same time, we're called to be humble? Well, how, how do we have that position? By grace. You know, we look at that and you say, do we deserve it? No, it's by grace. It comes by adoption. And again, I think of even the picture of adoption. What does a child do to be adopted? Nothing. I mean, a child, you know, people that have adopted, you know, you go to adopt a child, you go to the orphanage, all the child is doing is, you know, crying and pooping their diaper, and that's all they do. And, and a parent comes and brings them in. And so in the same way, we've done nothing. It's by grace. We have this incredibly high calling. We have, we're part of this family, but not because any of us deserve to be there. It's by grace. See, we should have great confidence in our calling, great confidence in our name, but with great humility. Because pride means that we think we deserve it. We've done something to earn it. Humility recognizes that while we have great confidence in this great position we have in Christ, it's great humility because it's only by grace. All I did is I just cried and I just, you know, you know that's all I did. I can't look down on anyone. Someone said, if you're understanding the gospel is to realize that, you know, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where, where I found bread. And that's all it is. It's not only I found bread, but where I found identity, where I found adoption. And so I'm one person saying, hey, I was on the street too, and here's where I found it. And, but there's tremendous humility in that. Not only humility, but gentleness. 
Because if I remember God's grace for me, it will also then produce gentleness. Now, why is that? Because it's not only how God has saved me, but how God has grown me. So, remember, Paul has been teaching here that we're all immature, but we're not all immature in the same way. Here's what we tend to do, is that I tend to struggle with, you know, some areas, and some areas God has made progress on me. You know, so let's say that I had struggled with my language, and I've really, God's worked on that, so my language is good. Well, now my tendency is to look at other people who still have language problems and to judge them. It's, man, I can't believe, man, they're not spiritual. But meanwhile, I might have another problem. I might maybe have a temper problem or something like that. And, and I, I look at that, and I justify that. I don't make a big deal of it. Meanwhile, if you've dealt with your temper problem, you look at me and you say, man, I can't believe he's not very spiritual. And here's what we need to realize is that we're all immature in different places, but we're all immature. We're all struggling. And we need to be patient and gracious with each other. And not only that, but even in the areas that we've, you know, that we've, that we've grown. How long did that take? Did you ever feel like you messed up so many times that, you know, you said, why hasn't God written me off? Did he write you off? No. He was gracious. Not only that, have you ever struggled for so many years and said, man, God, why is he patient? And he was patient. And not only is he patient, but he's gentle. He doesn't beat us up every time that we mess up. No, he's been very gentle with us. And so in the same way, God's saying, okay, remember how God has been patient with you, how he's been gentle with you, how he's been gracious with you. Now go show that same patience and grace towards someone else. Be gentle with them. See, that gentleness is then going to express itself in patience. Now, when we talk about patience, here's what we've got to think about what we're talking about. And there's a general sense of patience. I, I admit that I'm not a very patient person. My wife will tell you that. I, you know, uh, in driving, I'm not always the best driver. Uh, she tells me that I spent too long in South Florida. We're driving as a competition sport. And uh, she's like, you're not in Florida anymore. You don't need to race everywhere. Or, you know, or I, where God really gets me is I go in the grocery store line. And some of you can relate to this. I'm always looking for the shortest line. And God always seems to have this sense of humor. I get the shortest line, and it's the one person that doesn't have the tag on the thing, and it takes him 10 minutes to call it. And meanwhile, I'm watching every other line come out. If I could have gotten that line and gotten out five minutes early. I mean, I'm an impatient person. God's got to work on me on that. But that's not the kind of patience he's talking about here. It's more relational patience. It's not just patience with things in general, but specifically, how patient am I with other people and their struggles when they let me down? It's, it's this idea of bearing with one another in love. It's patience with people and their growth and maturation. Patience with people when they continue to make the same mistakes that they've made before. And again, now, key part of this is humility, because why? I realize how slow I've been to grow, how patient God was with me, and how God calls me to be that patient with other people. Not only that, what's interesting is some of the old, older translations translate this long-suffering, and that's actually more the idea of the Greek word. The problem was we never used that word anymore, so we don't understand it, so a lot of translations have moved away from that. But it's got a powerful thing, because it's not only patient, it adds something to it. It means that sometimes in being patient, there are going to be people that, when long-suffering means, there are going to be people that are going to make you suffer. Um, it means that, at times, other people's struggles and their growth will cause some degree of frustration or suffering. Their, their spiritual growth and failures may be at your expense. And so when it calls us to be long-suffering, it not only means, okay, just be put up with people, but recognize we're walking with people, and at times they're going to hurt you. At times they're going to offend you. At times they're going to let you down. And what are you going to do when they let you down? 
And you say, but it's at my expense. Okay, how many times have you let God down? It was always at Christ's expense. It's always been at his expense, and he's always paid the expense. And so we look at that and say, okay, do I remember God's long-suffering towards me? Now, can I be long-suffering towards someone else? See, that's the key is remembering how patient and long-suffering God is with me. I'm thankful that he hasn't written me off. I'm thankful he hasn't given me what I deserve. And now he's called me to show the same patience and gentleness towards other people. Not only that, it gets even more difficult. Because then it says, bearing with one another in love. The free, these three have been attitudes that we have, but when he says bearing one another in love, it goes from translating these attitudes into practical action. Why? Because this is calling us to do something. It's calling us to actually walk with people and be involved in each other's lives. The problem is I can claim to have the attitude of being gentle or patient or humble with other people, but you know what happens is a lot of times we do it from a distance. That person really bothers me, so what, how am I patient with them? I just try to avoid them. <laughs> you know, I just, I just want to be, don't be with them because then they don't bother me, and I'm fine, great. You know, go bother someone else, I'll be patient with you. You all do it too. I, I know you do. But here, it's not just an attitude. It's calling us to actually be involved with each other, to bear with one another in love, to be actually involved in each other's lives, that we embrace each other, where we hold each other, where we walk with each other, and where we put up with each other, words and all. Even when it causes suffering, even when it's hard. And it's all in the context of a family. Now again, let's even go back to this. Go back to what is the call in 4.1. Learn to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In a manner, how do we walk? Where well, we're learning to walk. Let's even go back to this. The picture is that of a baby. You learn to walk. It, doesn't take, it takes time. But you need help. And we should be the kind of community where we understand that, where we're patient with each other. Let's even use that illustration to drive it home a little bit deeper. Here's a little video that we found that I think says it very simply, but very well. Huh. You think it'd be easy walking, I mean. You just put one foot in front of the other over and over again. Add a little balance. I don't know. I guess when you break it down, there's more to it than just mechanics. It might even start with trust, you know? Is my foot gonna land right? Will I turn my ankle? Will I fall? And when I fall, are people gonna laugh at me and point, hey, look, they fell again? Or will they help me up? You know, we spent so much time crawling or even just laying around. It seems it's safer to just stick with what we know, right? I don't know, though. There's just something that compels us to learn to walk and something so beautiful about watching someone overcome the struggles and finally get it when it becomes natural to them, you know? I mean, sure, they still have to look out for ditches and holes they could fall into, but they learn how to avoid those too, I guess. Yeah, it's got to be worth the risk, the challenge of walking. It's like we were made to walk or something, maybe even run. I wonder if any of us would have ever even gotten off the ground without someone there to help us up. Just a thought. 
again, what is the call? Walk in a manner worthy. As babies, we learn to walk. And what if you had that, that, that baby that, you know, every time you fell, you laughed and you, you know, pushed each other down? Or, no. No, you have a family where it's supportive and where you cheer every step and where you, that's what the church should be. That's what the church should be. And we're going we're gonna to fall and we're going to stumble. And, but, but the church should have the same patience as, as a family has for a baby and the same celebration for growth. Because I want to learn to walk in a manner worthy. And, and that's only going to happen in the context of community. And if we really understand the way that God has loved us, we're going to be humble and we're going to be gentle and we're going to be patient. We're going to bear with one another in love. And, and that's what's going to ultimately make us one and unified. That's what he says, to either maintain the unity of the, in the, and the spirit and the bond of peace, we have this unity. But this unity isn't marked by lack of differences or by the fact that, you know, that nobody has ever offended you or done something wrong. Or, no, it's this humility that remembers God's grace to each other and, and that we unite around this common experience of grace where we're walking together and learning what that means. That's what Paul's point is when you look at verses four through six when he says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's what unites us. What unites us is that we have this identity, we're children of God, that we receive the same grace and the same hope, we have the same Father, we have the same baptism. And you know what, even if somebody offends me sometimes, it's okay because what unites me is way better than what, what divides us. So we even understand that to some degree even in human relationships. I, and I think about my wife, I'm thankful for my wife, and you know, we're 30 years of marriage. The reason that we're still married isn't because we have so few differences between us or because we never disagree or never argue. No, we have as many differences as anybody else. Uh, it's not that we're the easiest people to live with. I mean, hey, you all know me. Do you think I'm the easiest person to live with? I drive myself crazy. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, that's not it, of course. The thing that keeps us united as a couple is that we have a common commitment to some common things. What's what we hold in common? We have a common commitment to marriage. We made a pledge to love each other until God separates us by death. We have a common belief about what marriage is, a common commitment to our faith in Christ. We have a common commitment to raise our children together. We have a common commitment to, you know, to, 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 to build each other's lives and, and a whole host of other things that unites us. And the fact is, is that like any other couple, there's a lot of differences that we're gonna have. And if I focus on the differences, hey, you know, there's a lot of things we're gonna get frustrated about would drive us apart if I remember what unites us. And not only that, what unites us ultimately is our faith in Christ. And I remember how faith, gracious and patient God has been with, with me. Man, it gives me the ability to be more gracious and patient with her. And same thing with her and me. And we're united the more that we look at not only our common marriage, our common one faith, one baptism, one Lord. That's what makes us one. That's what keeps our marriage strong and growing over 30 years. And that's Paul's point here. That in a sense, all of us share something even deeper. We're not only husband and wife, we're brothers and sisters. We have the same family. We have the same name, the same identity. That's, that's something that's so great. And the experience, we're all adopted. That's something that's so great that should make us one regardless of our differences, our weaknesses, or, you know, that, the, the times that we may cause offense between each other. 
For those of you who have multiple kids, you know, sometimes your kids get to fighting and don't touch me and don't, you know, if you only have one kid and your kid's saying, don't touch me, you've got other problems. But, you know, just, you know, but when you have multiple kids, they get into fighting or just fighting over a toy. And, and as a parent, you know, you're sitting there, what's wrong with you guys? It's like, don't you understand that you're, you know, you're brothers and sisters and, and it's beautiful when you get to have your parent, your, your, as a parent, you see your kids playing together. When, when you see them helping each other, when one has a problem and the other one steps in and says, here, let me help you with your homework, let me help you with this. And I remember one time, you know, we had, one of our kids was getting bullied even at, at, at school and, and her sister steps in and says, I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna, I'm just like, part of me is, I mean, she was, you know, tiny. I don't know if she could do, but, but I love the heart, heart behind it. You love when your kids are unified because we're one family. Look what God says about this. The heart of our Father. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That's what God wants. That we're one family and we're united in this identity in Christ. That we not only dwell together in unity, but we're helping each other grow because we're all spiritual immature. We're all learning to walk. And we're all going to stumble. But we're learning it together. We're learning together to learn how to walk in a manner worthy of this incredible calling that we've been given by our Lord and our God. But let me end where it all starts. Because it all starts really in finding our own identity in God's grace. Because when you say that we have one Lord, one God, one Father, Lord of all, that starts with the assumption that, okay, you're a follower of Christ. That you've actually trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That you have, actually have that relationship with him. And I want to be here. Some of you might be coming in and you're thinking more about, you know, the going back to the scales and religion. Well, I'm trying hard. I'm trying to be good. It's not about what you've done. It's about accepting what God has done. It's about recognizing that I could never wait, you know, put enough on the scales. I could never measure it up. All I do is that I bring my need. All I do is I bring, I'm the baby that's crying and that's pooping in my diapers and, and saying, God, here's my need. Adopt me. And I recognize that I bring my sin, and God brings forgiveness through the death of Jesus on the cross. And I acknowledge that, and I say, God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me grace, not by anything that I've done, but purely based on my acknowledgement of my need and acceptance of God's grace. Father, I pray that you forgive me. I, I need that adoption. I need that relationship. And if you've never done that, God invites you to that relationship here today. Just even where you're at, to just pray and say, God, I, I need that. I ask you to forgive me. I accept the gift of grace that's offered to me through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And he will meet you there. If you do that, please talk to me afterwards. I'd love to help you explore all that that means. And if you have that, that's your identity. And the more that you understand that identity, that's why everything that is here is built on Ephesians 1 through 3. The more that you understand that identity, understand that what, who you are in Christ, all that he's given you, all that he's put, you know, placed on that, his side of the scale and said, because of that, now, live a life that's worthy. Walk a path that's worthy, that strives to live up. God's given you the plaque and said, you bear his name. You are a follower of Christ. Now, live in a way that's worthy of that name. And you're going to struggle, and we're going to fall, and we all are, but we're going to do it as a family, and we're going to learn together. And that is it for this week's message. If you'd like to get in touch or find a way to serve in our community, send us a text to 330-644-6121.
You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There you can send in a prayer request. We would love to be praying for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day and we'll see you next week.